Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. Tonight, um, I want to try to knock out three of our topics of stewarding his abundance. Remember, it's not enough to know about his abundance. It's really an investment of God's stuff that he's poured out on the earth. What do we call it? A libation. Remember what that was? It's in abundance. It's never ending. And then I get to multiply it. That's why I want to be a good steward of it. So um, I just pray that the Lord would release multiplication over you as I talk tonight. I first wanted to talk a little bit. If you don't have a handout and you want one, I believe that we still have some over here. Pam, we'd be happy to help you if you can't find it since we have so many over there. Um, I wanted to talk tonight about number six, which is hope. Now, we are in a month of hope. Remember, we're turning. Thank you. We're turning into hope. Yeah, that's the full word we're looking for there. The the less with the full. Did you get it? There, one was opposite of the other. It's not a hard thing. Okay. And part of how we impart fullness is we have something to give away. Right? I want to read a little bit to you. Um, whenever life happens... There's not a human on the planet that hasn't had hopes dashed. It's part of the human condition. It's really about our response to the dash hope, dashed hope, that reveals something within us. When I'm stuck, have you ever been stuck in a place of injury? Growth stops right there. I mean, I know people 80 years old that still tell the story of when they were five or six or 10, whatever. That's where growth stopped. How many know that's not God's intention? God didn't stick you on the planet and say, good luck. Do your best. When your hopes get crushed, there's just no answer. I'm sorry. Just go from crushed hope to crushed hope to crushed hope. God actually said his desire and his plan. See, God's not a God of a bunch of rules. He's a God of a plan. And he said, I want you to go from glory to glory. If we're not doing that, we can just adjust. Because the promise of God is that life on earth is meant to be glorious. And he provided everything necessary to be glorious. And he's, he's unlimited in this. What is his glory? Good job. I feel like you're so successful tonight. It's goodness. We just sang about it. I mean, I was literally typing a little what we call root note to the team. And she literally sang my note before I could send it to her. I wanted to say, stop it right there. We're good to go. But part of the hope that we carry is because we've tasted of goodness. Just like we've tasted of Patsy's turkey. We have hope 
See, everybody at had look at the girls. Are, they're about to have a revival over Turkey because they've tasted of the goodness and their anticipation, it won't be dashed. It's foolproof. Never had a bad turkey. Don't put that stuffing in there. That'll waste it. It's not about that. That's the way God is. Don't stuff all kinds of things in. Come on. Because he's wanting to release his goodness, his aroma of goodness, his, his fiery love, whatever you need. That's what he wants to release. That's what he's releasing. And so when I've been traumatized or dramatized, right? You've been, had both, right? Remember when someone dramatized on you? I will love you forever. That's some dramatization right there. And it gets crushed. If I don't do something with that, I immediately step underneath a lie. I can't ever have love again. That's a lie. That's not, that's not my God. And so let's read about it. Can we read about it? I've got a couple of scriptures for you in Hebrews. Did you bring your Bible? We used to bring our Bibles to church so people were getting out their phone like that's their Bible. I'm kidding with you a little bit. Hebrews 6. Man, if you struggle with depression, this is your verse. Okay? Listen, it's impossible to be depressed when I have an anchor of hope named Jesus. Say it with me. All depression is of the devil. No depression is from God. And since God's a healer, he's a healer of the circumstance that lead me to depression. Right? It's just a doorway I went through. Okay? This is what it says. I'm trying to not read the whole chapter, you know. It says it's impossible for God to lie. Let's just solid that up a little bit okay so if i'm not experiencing something i've seen in the word since god can't lie there's just a little wee adjustment on my part i need to make it may not even be a big adjustment we act like everything is so hard with god everything is super easy with god so it's impossible for god to lie for we know that his promise and his vow will never change what do you think his promise and his value is? John 3.16, God first loved, so loved, first and so, the world. Are you in the world? You. Then it's personal. Make it personal. He so loved me, he gave. Gave what? What I needed. I first needed a way back to him so I could understand him. Sin's the great separator. God's not mad about it. He fixed it. If he was scared of it or nervous of it or, or, or mad at it, he wouldn't have made humans able to sin. Come on, you can get on that, right? Can we get on that? Well, and so because he fixed the problem, then his promise, his vow to us is Love's always extended. Always, 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 always. 
Isn't it weird that when we've rejected God and then we finally realize God was reaching for us, we're like, gosh, well, I could have been doing this the whole time. Right? Come on. It says, since it's impossible for him to lie, and he never changes, now we run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. Here's the answer, introverts, oh, to the hiding problem, right? Running to his faithfulness. Now, you may not, listen, I've known God all my life. Faithful, 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 faithful. I can't even describe his faithfulness. I mean, every place I didn't think he would come through, he came through. Financially, relationally, health-wise, every single area that concerns me, that is the human condition, I am here to testify to you 60 years of faithful, 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 faithful. I'm going to pick on you, Colleen, okay? Colleen just recently liked me again. I didn't realize I had, we had gotten unliked, you know, you know how it's like or like, you know, I didn't know we were here. But listen, Pam, Pam told on her, I know Colleen won't mind me saying this, that's why I'm saying it. She began to recount all the ways I loved her. Which just the day before, but see, they had already happened. They had already happened. She just couldn't see. Right? Because of the hopelessness. But see, when God, whew. I mean, I haven't been saying much different. Well, maybe a little bit. But have I said much different in 30 years, Pam? I mean, I've been saying the same thing. This is the book. Not this, but you know, the book is the book. Moves has got her Bible. So we run. Come on, picture yourself running for a minute into his heart of faithfulness. This is where we find his strength. Isn't it funny how we try to live on our own strength? You will wax and wane. Those are some big words. Wax and wane. This is where we find his strength and comfort. Ever need comfort? Strength, comfort, and he empowers us to seize. What does seize mean? Get it. Get it. Get it. I have gotten it. I have seized it. What has already been established before time. An unshakable hope. Where is this unshakable hope? In the heart of his faithfulness. Not in your circumstances, not in people. Have you ever tried to get hope from people? I remember one time Pam got a prophecy, and the lady was telling her how she was going to help people, especially men. And the lady said, and you have said in your heart, how can I help anybody when I need help myself? And she knew as a prophetic word because that's what she had said in her own heart. 
how am I going to be able to help anybody when I have I need help? Right here. Unshakable hope in his heart. His what's his heart again? So loved. You so loved. You so loved. You so loved. So loved. So loved. So loved. So loved. I know you don't love yourself sometimes, but you're so loved. And when I'm so loved, I so love. The more I feel and know so loved, the more I am able to distribute so loved. It's a saturation problem. Get saturated in his love, and everyone looks different all of a sudden. It says, we have, verse 19, we have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls. Oh, there it is. Oh, it needs our spirits. It says our soul. What's your soul? Mind, will, and emotions. Mind, will, and emotions. Oh, how they're busy all day. Mind, will, think about your mind, will, and emotions. Whoa, it is just going, isn't it? It can't be the leader. It's got to be weighted down to God. Got to have a weight on it, or it'll it'll write that third verse of someone dummy wrong song, won't it? Come on, let's just be honest. That's what our soul does. What? You were not thinking of me? No, I was not at the center of your mind. That's why my soul, how many can just admit, you don't have to raise your hand because I already know who you are, but how many can just admit that your soul is huge? It has expectations and, and it's pre-rejected and it's sort of orphan-like. When God says there's abundance of love, you're looking around going, I don't feel loved. That's our soul. And so it needs to be Securely held to God Himself. Think about it. See, I picture myself all the time right there. Listen, my soul gets big sometimes. It wants its way sometimes. My area of expertise is, you know, when I don't feel good physically. You know, I, I waited on Shushu all day today. That wasn't my plan for my day. But, you know, she don't like blood. And blood doesn't really bother me. And so we just played around in blood all day with her toe. It just kept bleeding and it never would stop. And we just kept changing the dressing, kept changing the dressing. But see, listen, that that whole process is an adjustment when my soul had a way. If I had woke up and I said, I'm here to serve, then when serving needed to happen, come on. But I felt myself today. Oh, that wasn't what I thought I was going to do today. And all day long, I studied off and on between blood getting. I studied on time because that's the next one. And so I was laughing because my main scripture that I was going to talk about tonight was um, let me just read it to you real quick. Can I? I can because I have the mic. It's Psalms 31. 
it says, verse 15, it says, my times, say my times, say my times are in your hands. Is it capital U? I mean, why? And you, capital U, it's better. So picture yourself, this is, this is was the picture I had today. I had this index card and I write down my times on this index card and I come and I lay it down at the altar, proverbial, metaphoric altar. Because your times are not yours. That whole me time movement, <laughs> it'll mess you up. Because God is control of your time. That's so hard. That's so hard for our big, big old souls. Really, come on. But see, that yielding, 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 yielding creates an opportunity for the reason that God holds time. He holds it for a reason because he's really good at it. You're not. Listen, you don't want to be, I know, let me, let me just help you. You don't want to be 70 years old, not even realizing what you did with your time. Listen, a, an hour will turn into a day. A day will turn into a week. A week will turn into a month. A month will turn into years where you didn't know your times are not yours. Time messes up so many people. We don't even realize what we do with time. You know, when I looked up time, it's interesting because the definition in the Hebrew is experiences. That's kind of deep, isn't it? See, whenever God is trying to change my mind about things, one of the very first things that he had to change in me that he'll have to change in you is how you see time. And when I realize that my God-given assignment fits perfectly in God's time, then we won't be time wasters anymore. We won't, can I help you? You won't live in regret. You'll get rid of shame and guilt because they're all associated with the expectations of time. Okay, let's just wait on. <sighs> Come on, everybody, breathe for a second. Just got to do a David Letterman. So, One of the first things that Jesus did when he came onto the planet was he preached the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. This was God's agenda. Jesus came to deliver the Father's agenda. And humanity, all of humanity, was positioned by God to execute this father's agenda i mean when you begin to see things from the father's eyes you begin to see how the enemy works so what did the enemy do he destroyed fatherhood i mean i i don't want you to raise your hand again it's you know sometimes i like participation sometimes it's just rhetorical but 
How many had a prophetic father that led them into truth and activated their gifts? But yet, you know, we had somebody request this week for us to give them our children's ministry curriculum on Revivalist Club because Sidwell and I decided to make a little mini profits. Since there's not a Holy Spirit Junior, I had one of our little persons come up to me Sunday and tell me something prophetic. Now, he didn't even know. He did. It happens all the time because why? We made, we're making an atmosphere in that room. We're training them. They're so easily trainable to know they can hear God. And they're going to need that. Oof. Where would you be? You'd be a little Ollie. Do you see him? He's just like, hey, check it. All confident and stuff. He came to the healing room and just confessed his little heart out. Big wrongs, you know, at five, six. Easily repentant. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He just, he's a friend. He's not trying to spook you out. He's trying to love you. He's trying to get close, trying to, right? And so when Jesus was talking on the Sermon on the Mount, this is one of the things he said, Matthew 6, 27, he said, which one of you by worrying can add anything to your life? This is what it said. How can worry add one hour of time to your life? There's, there he is again talking about time. See, that's it was it was a it was a point of hey, listen, when you're worrying, you're taking time. You're taking God time. And so that's why he said, consider flowers. Do they go to the store and buy clothing? So he said, don't even worry about what you're going to wear. How much money, time, effort in the world, maybe not you, but in the world is about clothing. And he said, don't even worry about what you eat. Oh, why? He's, he's hidden on the targeted areas that we spend so much time needing that it'll end up making us worry that we don't have it. And he said, did it add one hour? No. Let me, can I just be blunt? Can I be blunt to you? You just stole a God time. Your worry is stealing God time. Because he had something else he wanted you to do at that time. Instead of sitting around going, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? He's like, hey, you don't need to what if me to death. I'm a good father. I'm a provider. Listen, God's name is provider. Listen, it's one of the few things in the Bible 
that he says, he tells us how to give and why to give. He says, give into the place where treasures are stored that you want. When he said, give to a storehouse so there'll be meat there. There'll be supply there. So think today, what's being supplied to you right now in this room? See, he said, test me. If you supply the ability for the storehouse to be full and you come and eat. I don't know if you know this, but you're eating right now. And it's sweet like honey, baby. Mm -hmm. You may not know it yet, but it is. It's sweet, isn't it? If you make sure that's your first priority. That's why God has to have first fruits. Then he said, you can test me. This is what he said. Will I not pour out a blessing that you cannot even contain? He said it in a rhetorical question form. Because see, my doing what he said, giving, activates him. Giving activates God. I haven't found anything else in the Bible he said you can test him on. Calandra's in the house now. It's a small golf clap for you. Because I am investing in what helps me not steal God time. I'm investing in peace instead of worry. It's God math. Have you been seeing that girl math? Dog math. Anybody been seeing the dog math? That's, I love the dog math. I have the dog math girl at home. That's what he said. So forsake worry. Wow, that's so much harder because we've created a system that is an activity that we do to make us feel like we're doing something. Listen, if you make this one simple exchange, listen, it tries to come on me. My two, everybody has a couple, maybe three areas. Mine is always physical health and finances. Finances. Because he called me to be an entrepreneur. He called me to make wealth for other people to enjoy. And when I when I look at where God's provided for me to work that way, like every company you work for, you should make better. And in that process, I forsake worry by when I'm there, I'm saying what I'm doing is enough. What I'm making here is enough. And God's going to get my first fruits because what it does, it sets me up for gratitude. If I'm at work and I'm like, they don't pay me enough, 
I'm on, in fact, I'm going to show them they don't pay me enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I think. I'm going to do the amount of work I think that they're paying me for. You're already setting yourself up for worry. Because see, remember the whole goal of God is to be the director of your life. You're following. So does he know what you need? Does he know what you need? Then he will lead you to what you need. When I'm in charge, I lead me to what I want. It's not the same. But I promise you, if you will allow him to lead, he will not only give you what you need, he will give you some wants. But if your wanter is in the need, remember I just talked about it the other day, then you'll never have enough. See, one thing about God is that I have to set my life up in a structure that he's in the lead. And this is what he's saying right here. Why are you, why would you even say, what will we eat? Why would you even say, what will we drink? What, why would you even say, what will we wear? For that is the language of unbelievers. And that's what they chase after. Now, it, it sounds illogical to not worry about what you would buy for clothing, what you would eat, and what you would drink. It sounds illogical, doesn't it? But see, chasing after it proves I'm not following him. Because when I, this is what it says. Uh, it says, don't you believe and doesn't your heavenly father already know the things your bodies require? That's the question. How much do you believe that? If, he, if he's some distant guy that's just mad, that you can just choose one day if you think about him, and choose one day you don't, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people that are hypocrites. I mean, I know the whole line. But when you stand before God, he's not going to say, how many hypocrites did you know? <laughs> he's going to say, all he's going to say is, did you know me? And he already knows the answer. It says, don't you know your heavenly father already knows all this? So, say so, above all. Where is it? See, it's all about order. You get the right things in the right place, a bunch of stuff just falls into place. Above all, constantly, how often? How often? What is constantly? All the time. Constantly, constantly, constantly. All you have to ask yourself is what gets in the way of constantly? Constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And listen to this. All of these less important things. <laughs> Eating, drinking, food, clothing. Less important things. In fact... Here, let me say it like this. All of those things are a byproduct of having him first. People will give stuff to you. 
I mean, I saw Charlie wearing a pair of my pants the other day. I was like, this is cool. I mean, Gwen's got on Chrissy's shirt right now, I think. This is cool. I don't know. Somebody's shirt. It was just, a, it's amazing. Why? Because he just, he'll just hand it on down. He'll just, he provides. And those were some nice pants, too. I mean, they, they were red Adidas stripe. They were praying men's all along. These less important, he'll, he'll, it says, all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Stirring abundance. That's what we're talking about. It's about order. When I just have him there, listen, when I have him there, I realize I have an assignment from him. Let me just say it again. It don't matter who you're married to. It don't matter who you're dating, who you're in a relationship. You have an assignment from God. And again, when we're standing for Jesus, he's not going to say, what would your husband do? What would your wife do? Did you know me? Were you intimate with me? Did you know me? And so when I'm knowing him, trust me, I know. I'm doing it. When I'm knowing him and my focus is on him and what we sing about tonight, it takes effort when I haven't done it to learn to look on him. Listen, Bill Johnson says this, if I will watch him, he will watch over everything that concerns me. You know, one of the greatest things that we do in this worry zone is we meddle in everybody's business. We judge and we say things and we try to get people and people try to get us to do stuff. It's such an unhealthy dynamic because he's not here. See, when he's here, he's up. And I have to look up. And you're down. So I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at him. And I trust him to direct my life. I trust him to tell me what to do. That's why I'm constantly seeking your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. I used to have to say that every day. Because it's, listen, why does your old man want to reawaken every morning? Why do you have to die daily? Why do you have to take up your cross? Because there's a resurrection waiting. Let me help you. Everything that you let die will be resurrected into something new. Everything you hold on to, that you're trying to make it be something, it, it has no power to be resurrected. Ecclesiastes is a great book about things and time. And Solomon wrote it. That's what most people think. And he went through and listed. It's a great book if you're really into your soul. It, it shows you all. A guy that tried everything. Tried absolutely everything. And at the end, he said, it's futile. This is what it says. This is the summary. Ecclesiastes shows us in stunning ways that the key to life is not in life itself. 
Pleasure, materialism, wisdom, money are all futile and folly. True happiness comes from centering our lives on God, not ourselves. See, all the things that we're seeking after that are not Him are of self. Do you trust that God has the power to give to you what you need? See, we have to trust Him. When we have all this broken trust, it's like we made people be a God figure. It's like we acted like what people did to us is what God will do to us. Listen, what people did to me that was bad becomes my testimony. What people did to me that was good becomes my testimony. (laughs) It's just your story. And I'm either stuck in a verse, a multiverse. I'm either stuck... We've been watching Loki. I'm either stuck in a place where it was bad. And we can get stuck in a place where it was good. Listen, the latest thing God did wasn't his best thing. It was just a God thing. But there's more, and there's more, and there's more. Because it's glory to glory. It's more goodness, more goodness, more goodness. So when I am centering, you know, there's all kinds of buzzwords about it right now. You know, trying to find the rhythm. That's the buzzword right now. But it's really seeking first the kingdom. You can put a bunch of words in it. But when I seek him first, the things of my life come into balance. You got a big soul? Seek first. Let him direct. Be a follower of him, not a follower of you. And so in this process of hope and time, can you see that my soul, when it's anchored in God himself, then my times are in his hands willingly. I'm not fighting him every step of the way, making him, fleecing him to death, making him prove himself. My times are in his hands. Come on, Cece. Thank you, Tisa. Wow, it's amazing to see um, how obvious it was why we were off earlier in life sometimes, you know. I was just, as Tisa was um, sharing this message tonight, I realized that both hope and time I thought were kind of my responsibility growing up. They were, it was on my shoulders to come up with a thought or some logic or some strategy to give me hope to have a better outcome, and it was on me to do something with this time to make it worthwhile or make it valuable. It was all on me, and I was raised to not know God. I didn't know God. I didn't know that he was Lord of all things. I didn't know that he had all the abundance and anything good thing I had actually came from him, and so that pressure when things are put on us that aren't meant to be on us, they don't come from us, that creates incredible 
pressure in life. And it, it it's not surprising when you think about it, about why so much depression and anxiety and fear is just r- rampant in our culture, because that is a very common outlook, even amongst Christians, really, in different churches. And because of the religious spirit, it it comes back around. The religious spirit comes back around and reteaches everything that that the atheistic world teaches that just puts God on it. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. So um, I realized as Tisa was um, bringing her message today that what I was experiencing earlier today and feeling in my heart really did go along with this. And I, I felt like Papa's heart was really to try to address uncertainty. I felt like there's this big um, weight of uncertainty on people and that he is so longing to just be God, to be father. He's he's like so wanting to reach out and say, hey, I've got the answer. I can help you with this. You know, you're not alone. And yet this um, spirit of uncertainty is just plaguing people and, and feeding fear and depression and that kind of thing. And I want to read what he said to me when I was asking him about it today. But one thing, before I do, I want to read Acts 17. I don't think Tisa ever read it tonight. Did you end up reading it? I know she had thought about reading it because it definitely speaks to time. But several months ago, if you remember, the Holy Spirit um, led us to this section of Acts 17 and said this was your vitamin. This was your vitamin E that you needed to be injected with in order to have a successful pregnancy. Remember that? It was a prophetic dream. And so I just want to read this. And I don't know about you, but I've really been memorizing it, going over it and over it. And it truly is changing my outlook. And it's so powerful to set so many of these types of things straight. It starts in verse 24. It says, the true God is the creator of all things. He is the owner and the Lord of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And he doesn't live in man-made temples. He supplies, not me, not you. He supplies life and breath and all things, not just life and breath, all things. It's real simple. All means all. All things to every, every means every living being. He doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him. I wish I'd been taught that when I was younger because I was taught the exact opposite. And even when I started going to church, I was taught the exact opposite, that I had something that God needed and I needed to bring it. I needed to supply it in order for God to be God. No, he doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him. For he has all things. That's You could just put a period there. He has all things and everything he needs. From one man, Adam, he made every man and woman and every race of humanity. That covers it. That pretty much covers the whole world. And he spread us over all the earth. He sets the boundaries of people and nations, determining their appointed times in history. Man, that's been a breath of fresh air to me. He sets the boundaries. Even when I learned about boundaries, I thought it was on me to make sure I set them. And of course, you know, there's a practical application to the teaching on boundaries, but he sets the boundaries. Sometimes God is putting you in a position to set a boundary with a someone or a season in life because he has determined that it's best for you. And so he sets the boundaries that takes the pressure even off of us again from thinking that we're making this big, big decision. He sets the boundaries of people and nations determining their appointed times in history. 
He has done this so that every person would long for God, feel their way to him, and find him. For he is the God who is easy to discover. Easy to discover. That's a key right there, too. He made this life actually to be much easier than we make it. Humanity makes it so much harder. Their religious spirit makes it so much harder. And that's what I want to read read um, to you today, what he had to say. And the first, it started off with this vision I had, and he immediately began speaking. He said, my children sit sometimes at a table too big. Legs dangling, they wait for something with firm footing, saying, where will I go when I rise from this place? When I climb down from this seat, will there be firm footing beneath? Or will the world still wax and wane with uncertainty? I said, oh, Papa, I know your fathering heart for your children. I know you long to show them the way to lead them and guide them. I feel the cry of your own heart for them, longing with all you are to reach them. I feel the weight of the relief that you could offer, the restraint it is now under when they're not asking. There is mourning in this place of longing, mourning for what cannot yet be, mourning for what is desired but not able to be released. What do you say to your children today, Papa? What is on your heart to speak? What is burning within you for release? What aches within you to bridge the gap of their uncertainty? And Papa said, my heart beats with a rhythm that humanity seeks. It beats in keeping with divine time, something mysterious in the eyes of mankind. No, my time is not your own, as I'm sure you now well know, but there is a rhythm still that beats, a rhythm that you seek. You sometimes feel the need for it, but lack awareness of what you seek or what you need. You sometimes try to resolve it with accomplishment and success, with some task, but why don't you ask? Why don't you ask me what is needed? Why don't you come to me with this offbeat that is seeking resolution? I long for my children to come, to just come. I long for them to come with wide-eyed wonder, with tears and laughter, with joy and sorrow. In every state, I long for them to come. I see their need, their lack, their disbelief and the chasm of uncertainty that it leaves. I see and hear their wandering hearts groping in the dark for something solid and steady. This world has fallen into a display of uncertainty. Wars and noise dominate the airwaves, and yet no one arises with the answers they seek. Do they not have words? Has their experience been labeled in some other language? Are they deceived in their own emotions, infected by some viral interpretation? Weary and exhausted, driven by a harsh taskmaster, they hope in their ability to try harder. Don't they know that I made the way simple? Don't they see that a path has already been made into their destiny? Why insist on forging a new way as if the answers they seek are hidden in some desolate place? It's empty there for a reason. That's not opportunity, you see, but a death that has preceded your arrival. 
A valley of dry bones is void of solutions. There is no life hidden between them. Answers aren't found in dry wells. The drink you're needing is not there. So why stay hidden in the dry place? Why set up camp in such a place when there are flourishing gardens waiting? My son forged a path for you, planting seeds without lack and drenching the land with every step he took. He went before you so that I could desire you. He went ahead of you so that I could cry out to you. He paid a price for you so that I could set a feast before you. No weapon formed, no devil's scheming can tip the table of all I've prepared for you. This feast won't be stolen. It's protected by angelic warriors. I prepared this table for you so that my victory could be displayed before you. So that you could witness supreme authority is alive and present. The struggles you face aren't proof of a strong enemy. The disappointment, the pain, the seeming mistakes are all opportunities to see my reign. My invitation awaits you every single day. My heart is crying out to you long before you even wake. My sovereignty seeks connection with your humanity. Can you hear that? My sovereignty seeks connection with your humanity. Resurrection is reaching out right now. Resurrection lives and breathes every moment of your life, awaiting the day you are open to receive. So come, take my hand. Let's walk together in my divine plan. Here the skies are brighter and the noise so much quieter. The flowers bloom, scattering seeds of hope. Beauty proclaims that something greater reigns. You too can reign in this place, sons and daughters, kings and queens, reigning with divinity's pursuit. So that's Papa's heart. He doesn't want to see us sitting at some big table trying to sort everything out and just hoping on something in our own power to create firm footing underneath us. He's actually gone before us and prepared a way to make this life enjoyable, simple, to, to provide everything that we need. This whole concept of stewarding abundance, if you look at that worksheet, there's so much on that page. More on what, like seven, six or seven out of this list of like 15 things, I think, which are only a partial list of what God provides. And it's just simply shifting our awareness that he has it all and it's not on us to find it all. He doesn't even say, I've got it and you come find it. See if you can find me. You know, it's like, I've got it and I want to give it to you. And I'm actually running after you. I'm desperately trying to give it to you. So I just pray that tonight that you hear this message of hope. You know, the thing about hope, I remember in some of my most hopeless moments, and I thought I cannot find or see a way out. I can't see one good thing that would come from this. But I would start to read my Bible. I would start to read scripture. And it didn't have to have anything to do with my problem. Didn't have to even be on topic. But as as Tisa said at the beginning of worship, it's the substance of God is in the word. So when you start reading the word, just letting it pass before your eyes, reading it, you begin to experience hope. There's a reason it's called peace that surpasses our understanding because we don't have to understand it to have peace. We don't have to understand it to have hope. We don't have to know the solutions to have hope.
So, Papa, I just thank you for all that you have pre-provided for us. I thank you that you are the God of goodness, that you are the God of glory, and you are pouring it all out. And all we have to do is say, it's me. I'm a recipient. I want that. I need that. I'm coming to you with an open heart, with open arms to receive it. I just lay down the, the teaching that I have to know everything, that I have to figure it all out on my own. And I say, you're actually Lord, not because you want to rule and reign over me, but because you own it all to begin with. You own it all before I ever got here. You created this world as the owner, as the ruler, as the Lord, not just in heaven, but here on earth. And so I come to you as the one who has it all. You are the God of abundance, and I'm just a child in need of a father. And that's all we have to say. So I pray, Papa, that this message would, would break people, people open in a new way to receive the hope that you are pouring out over them, to see, that, see time in a new way, to see all of your resources as, some, as something freely given, not up to us to, to produce, but something freely given. So I thank you for your fathering heart that is just reaching out and longing to be God, to just simply be God to your people. I pray that this message is sealed up tightly and protected and that you would make it personal for, for people, that you would give them dreams and visions and conversations and billboards and TVs and songs and whatever they need to, to hear about it again, to receive it, to be reminded of it as they go out into their day. I pray this will be a message that resounds within them and echoes within them after they leave this building after we enter back into the daily routines and the nightly routines, that it would be something that pops up and reminds us of your presence, of your abundance. So we thank you in advance for all of those moments to come. We say, you are Lord. You are Lord of our lives. You are Lord of our lives. And we long to be just simply your children. We love you, Papa. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.